0: Well, happy Father's Day, those of you who are fathers, I appreciate Henry's prayer and recognize also with him, yeah, it's a, it can be a challenging day, difficult day for some of you, maybe you've lost your dad in this past year, or maybe uh, it just feels like it was this past year, and that can always be difficult. We pray God's comfort and blessing to be with you. Those of you who are dads, you know, I feel like uh, one pastor said sometimes it's weird because Mother's Day, it's all, you know, happy and we're excited and whatever you do as a mom, we just, it's awesome. And then we come to Father's Day and it's like, what's wrong with you guys? And you just get beat up on Father's Day. Why don't you just be a better dad? Be a better... And uh, I don't know if that's, that's probably not right, but uh, we do want to recognize the hard work of a dad, right? And you do have an important role. And I just want to say that. I want to recognize that. More than happy Father's Day, I want to thank you for your job as the Father. I want to recognize you don't get it right. I don't get it right. We don't get it right all the time, right? And, and so that's okay we're, as long as we're continuing to trust in the Lord and look to Him. Because the word Father, when Jesus taught His disciples to pray, He taught them our Father, And that's to point us to our Heavenly Father. But so often, for so many of us, you got to go through that earthly father word before you get to that Heavenly Father sometimes. And sometimes that can be a struggle. So you as a dad, if you're in here and you're a dad, yeah, you carry a heavy mantle. God has chosen to use that metaphor, that illustration, that word to even talk about how he relates to all people. And so it is a heavy mantle, and you're not going to get it always right, but we ought to always be looking to the Lord and uh, falling on His grace and yet leading in the best way we can to point to the Heavenly Father that leads us perfectly every time. So yes, happy Father's Day, and I pray God's strength and grace be upon you who are a dads who continue to lead today. Amen. All right, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is one under a chair that you're sitting on or very close to you under a chair you're sitting on. We're gonna continue in the series that Pastor Brian started with you here in Burlington last week, and I started with the congregation in Belmont last week, which is traveling through some of the parables in Luke in this series, Go and Do Likewise. We do this because we believe Uh, that Jesus is our Lord and we ought to pay attention to what he teaches and what he says and we ought to apply it to our lives. So we look at the words of Jesus as he tells these parables and look at what God might have to say to our lives. As we get into the parables, there's an interesting thing you'll find. I think oftentimes in life, we always wanna know where the line is on certain issues, and especially moral issues, I think, in our life. Sometimes we go to Jesus, sometimes you come to church, because you wanna know kind of where the line is on things. Like, all right, what can I do, what can't I do? Tell me where the line is. When I was a student, theology student in college and then in seminary, seminary students are a weird group of people, and we would get in all kinds of conversations about where the lines are on different things. Like we sit around the table, and you're going, you know, where's the line? Can a Christian do this? Can a Christian not do this? Can a Christian, say, own a Ferrari or not? Can a Christian live on a giant house or not? Can a Christian own an airplane or not? Or if they own an airplane, can it just be a prop plane? Or can they have a Gulf Stream? Like these questions. Where's the line? I know, nerdy seminary stuff, but sometimes you, you get in these conversations because we always are interested in this. Where's the line? Uh, it happens even in churches. I remember when I had the opportunity one time to visit a couple churches in Southern California. And I visited two churches one was in Lake Forest and one was in Garden Grove. And uh, they were both mega-churches, per se. Uh, Thousands of people in attendance every Sunday or weekend. They have multiple services over multiple days. They were both big, beautiful buildings and campuses that were impeccably maintained. But they were very different when, when I remember visiting both of them. One of them, in Lake Forest was really utilitarian, really practical. You could tell that the design decisions, the decor decisions were really made to do with, hey, what would be easiest for people to engage with, to use, what would be the simplest, what would probably be the least expensive, what would be the most versatile when it comes to seating and rooms and all that stuff. And it was pretty utilitarian. The other one that I visited was a church made of glass. Or crystal, as it was called, as they named themselves, and it was anything but utilitarian. I mean, it was just meant to be beautiful and gorgeous to look at. And I don't know you know where, where it is or what some people think, but I, some people would say that somewhere between Lake Forest and Garden Grove that there was a line crossed in, in someplace, in and, and what is a good use of funds and, and investment and things like that. And we may or may not agree. Uh, with where that line is, but we often have discussions about where is the line? Where is the line on these things? And it's not new to us. When Jesus was ministering, people would often come up to him and ask questions that were similar to that, wanting Jesus to draw the line. Tell him, just just be clear, just get to the heart of the matter, just get down to it and tell us, you know, what, what what is right, what is wrong, what's black, what's white, where is it? And... Jesus, a lot of times, when those questions were posed to him, he wouldn't quite answer them. Um, In fact, he would kind of skirt around and, and answer another question. We saw this last week, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The warrior comes to Jesus and asks, well, who's my neighbor? And if you paid attention to the parable, Jesus never really answers that question of who's my neighbor. Because he knew that who's my neighbor wasn't really the heart of the matter the real thing was the warrior was asking who's not my neighbor who don't I have to love where's the line who's on the list and who's off the list and so Jesus really doesn't go at that question because he really wants to get at the heart of the questioner the heart of the inquisitor like what's really behind this And this morning, as we come to another parable, Jesus does a similar thing. We're going to read a parable in a moment where you're going to see there's a question asked that Jesus really doesn't answer, but he wants to get at the heart of the person and the heart of what's behind the question. And so let's take a look at it. Luke chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 13. If you are using one of the copies of God's Word, one of the Bibles from the seat rack, it's about page 871, You can turn there, and that will be Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, and here's what it says. Someone in the crowd said to him, and the him is Jesus here, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And then, and there, I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Did you catch the switch? What was the question? The question was, or the demand was, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And the reason he's going to Jesus, so we can speculate. Sometimes people would go to rabbis in this culture rather than they would serve almost as a civic authority in some matters. And, or we can just say, Jesus taught a lot about money at times. And so this guy goes to Jesus and says, look, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he gets a switch. He never, Jesus never answered the question. In fact, he says, look, who made you? Who made me my, the arbitrator over you? That's an interesting response considering Jesus one day like he's the great judge of all humanity. And he says, who made me judge over you? Because he's not, that's not the matter. That's not the, that's not the heart of the matter. And then he turns and he says, you know, he tells the crowd, he kind of lets the man over here and he lets us over here. And he says, be on your guard against covetousness. Well, that wasn't the question. That wasn't, where, where did that come from? That wasn't the topic at all. And he switches it to what is behind this question of the inheritance. And Jesus says what's really behind it is coveting. The coveting not something we talk about a lot, but it's pretty serious in the scriptures. In fact, it's put on the level of some other things in scriptures that we're to stay away from that we would automatically say, oh yeah, Christians should stay away from that. But we don't often see that coveting is taken by God is very seriously. The want, the desire, the pursuit of things we don't have to the extent that they become an idol in our life that we live for them in order to get them. So what's the idol? What's the thing that's being coveted in this passage? We might quickly say, well it's money, but I don't think it's money. Because actually this rich man was already rich and he seems to have come about his newfound richness uh, legally, morally, in every right way. He didn't steal it. He didn't come about immorally. He didn't, he didn't abuse or, or, or extort or in any way. His crops just yielded more crops. He just had a really good quarter. He had a really good year. I don't think it was about money that was coveting. I think it was more about what he felt the money could provide, what he felt the money gave him. And what he felt the money gave him was certainty in an uncertain world. And I think we all want to have a desire and want certainty in an uncertain world that we live in. The truth is, what the man knew was the future, you know, crops, who knows what's going to come or who knows what's going to happen. So he wanted to secure an uncertain future with this wealth and by that controlling what was going to happen to him. I think there's something in all of us that wants to find certainty in an uncertain world. I mean, we all would like to know that tomorrow is set and secure. That tomorrow we know what's going to happen and we are insulated, secure from tragedy and trial and pain and difficulty and we have insulated ourselves from it. We've provided against it and so we can be certain about tomorrow. But the truth is we all know we live in an uncertain world. It doesn't take much to understand how uncertain the world is that we live in. Uh, this uh, couple weeks, in the last couple weeks, David Spurgel, who's the NASA scientist in charge of the, he's the astrophysicist in charge of understanding unexplainable events in the sky. How'd you like that to be your job? Understand unexplainable events in the sky. He's a cosmologist, he's been an astrophysicist all all his career, and he said this, I spent most of my career as a cosmologist, I can tell you we don't know what makes up 95% of the universe. So there are things we don't understand. Here's a guy who spent his whole life looking at stuff most of us never even think about, and he said, we don't understand 95% of it the future in our lives in many ways are uncertain as much as we want certainty we understand that there's a lot of things that are uncertain and we try our best to gain certainty but even in our best attempts we recognize if we're honest that there's a lot of uncertainty that exists it's father's day and i was thinking about the the night or the day our first child was born and Wendy and I, in getting ready for Isaac's birth, I, we had, I mean, I, I guess everyone may be a little different, but we, were, we went to the classes, we did the books, we watched the videos, we, were, we did everything they told us to do because we were gonna be certain about how this labor and delivery was going to go. We were gonna be in complete control, know exactly how it's gonna go. And then Wendy went into labor, or one night she wakes me up, or morning, it's probably about 2 a.m. and she said, I think the baby's coming. And we looked at each other and we said, what do we do? (laughs) After nine months of preparation and books and videos and everything else. So we did what we always do. We went and grabbed a book. We sat in bed at 2 a.m. and read what to expect when you're expecting. And we tried to turn to the chapter that was relevant to that moment. Decide whether we were supposed to go to the hospital or not. Deciding the answer was yes, we went. And then we got there and we said, all right, we got in. We said, we want an epidural. This is it. This is it. They said, no problem. Epidural never came. The baby did. (laughs) Things don't always go the way you have planned. You try and get certainty. But the truth is we live in an uncertain world. Some of you who are a little older, you have some younger people maybe come up to you and they tell you their 10 and 20 year plans. This is the way it's going to go. And you smile and you say, God bless you. I hope it does. Because you know, there's some uncertainty in there, isn't there? There's going to be some turns along the way that you're not going to expect. But we all want this certainty in an uncertain world. How do we gain it? We try. In the the face of this uncertainty of the future, it leads us to work and to worry, I think, at times. Leads us to work and to worry. These are the two ways we try and kind of shield ourselves against the uncertainty of the future. We try and work, and, and like this uh, rich man in this parable, just provide enough so we won't have to worry about the future. We don't knock down barns. We build bigger, bigger IRAs, 401Ks, 403Bs. You just, we build bigger ones and enough so that the future, we don't have to worry about that. We think we've secured ourselves against that enough so that when the day comes when we still have bills but can't work or maybe don't want to work, that we've secured ourselves in that situation. And I'm not saying that's unwise. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But what Jesus is saying is to think that that has with certainty secured our uncertain future is literally what he says, foolish. And God calls the man in this story who believes that, a fool. And while a fool may seem like an ambiguous derogatory term for us, it's actually a very precise theological term, because a fool in the Bible always means one who lives as if God does not exist. And he calls this man a fool, because he's living his life as if God does not exist. Jesus is saying that even if all our work resulted in so much money that you never had to work another day for the rest of your life, you have only made a false security about your uncertain future. Let me, let me show you what I mean by this. I need two volunteers. Who will, who will help me and volunteer with me? Sean wants to? I heard Sean wants to. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I Sean, well, happy Father's Day, Sean. Your wife volunteered you. All right, you're going to hold one end of this. Who's going to hold the other end? I need someone to hold the other end. All right, Aaron, hold the other end of this, Aaron. Thank you. Happy Father's Day to you too. All right, there we go. Let's say, let's stretch you out as tight as you can and as long as you can. Let's say this rope represents your life. All right, this, this string represents your life. Now, I think right below your finger, Sean, there's a little piece, what's there? Little piece of red tape. Can everyone see that? (laughs) No? That's a little piece of red tape about this wide. This represents your life, and if this represents your life, then this little piece of red tape was representative of your life here on Earth. Your 50, 60, 70, maybe 100 years. The rest of it, and if it went past Aaron to infinity, is your life after this earth. That's essentially what Jesus is saying because so much of your worry, so much of your work, so much of your effort was put in trying to create certainty in the little piece of tape that you've given no thought to the rest of the string. That's foolish. You guys can put it down. Thanks, guys. That's what Jesus is saying, that essentially what this man was doing was taking all the effort and putting it on the piece of tape with the neglect of thinking about everything that came after it. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to save money. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I think Pastor Tim Keller had a great quote on this uh, parable when he said this. He says, if there is a physical world, and there is, like we live in it, right? The, the, the world of bills and, you know, people and work and all this. If there is a physical world, and there is, then, uh, then to save nothing is stupid and foolish, but if there is something besides the physical world, then to save everything is stupid and foolish. If, if there is this physical world, and we all know there is, we live and we have bills to pay, we have things to do, we have obligations to meet, and there will be a time for most of us if we live long enough when we can't work but still have bills to pay and obligations to meet and we ought to think about and provide for that, it would be foolish not to. But if we did that to the neglect of ever thinking about the fact that there's a whole string coming after that piece of tape and what we do with the stuff and the time now matters to the rest of that string, we're equally as foolish, perhaps more so. And we try and secure our certainty in this life through work and saving and investing. If I just have enough Bitcoin, right? Right? That's maybe not a good example today. Hit an all-time low this week, I think, or a low in a while. If I just have enough cash, even that is disappearing with inflation. Goes into your gas tank, right? Well, gold, silver, I don't know. If you just have enough of it, we're going to be okay. Jesus is saying, if it's all you're thinking about, just that little piece of tape, just keep it all for yourself, you're being foolish. Some of us, it's not work. For many of us, it's worry. We're just, you know, we're just going to worry about the future. Jesus knew that this was a possibility, too. Let's continue in verse 22. Uh, Just so you know, verse 22, I'm I'm continuing here. We're continuing in the same, uh, this is still telling the same story. So in your Bible, written Bible there, you probably have a paragraph break and a title. So if you're reading in the English Standard Version, your title for the next section is Do Not Be Anxious. But just a little uh, inside baseball here. The titles are not inspired. Those were put in later uh, by translators to help us kind of break up the passages and understand what's coming. So in the original writing as God had given it to to Luke, you would have gone from verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God, right into verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore, so therefore means because of what came before this. So because you can't control the future, because you you can lay up all of your treasures and still have your life demanded of you, because you can't have certainty, because of all that, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the willies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Jesus knew this was another response to the uncertainty of the future and the coveting of wanting to secure our future. It's worry, just getting anxious, just being anxious. We are a worrisome people, aren't we? I mean, if Jesus had to say it to them, I mean, we need to hear it 10 times over. National Institutes of Mental Health estimate uh, that some 40 million Americans struggle with some sort of anxiety. That's 18% of the population over 18. One-fifth of us constantly struggling with worry and anxiety in our lives. We are constantly living under the what if. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this goes wrong? What if they do this? What would I do if? It's not unique to us. Michael de uh, Montaigne, 500 years ago made this statement. He said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened the way we live, right? Most of which has never happened. There's a study that was put out recently that said it turns out 85% of what people worried about never happened. And of the 15% that did happen, 79% of the people said they could handle it or it was actually helpful to them as they grew. So 97% of what you worry over either is never going to happen or you're going to be able to handle it just fine. And some of you hear that and you're going, yeah, but the other 3%. (laughs) Because we are a worrisome people. We are an anxious people. And yet Jesus said, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The worry and the anxiety don't secure the future. They don't change the future. They don't add to our lives. Jesus says, that's not the answer. It's not about your work. It's not about your worry. What is it then? We need to allow what is certain rather than what is uncertain to determine how you live. What is certain (laughs) is that there's a whole lot of string after that little piece of tape. What is uncertain is I don't know what's going to happen in the piece of tape. I can't control it. I can't stand up here and promise you everything's always going to go well, that it's always going to be easy, that you're going to get 50, 60, 70, 80 years beyond Can't know for sure what's gonna happen in the piece of tape. That's uncertain. What's certain is that there's gonna be a lot of string to play out after that piece of tape. And there's things we can do now that create a certainty during that much longer time than the things we're worried about in the shorter time. Let's pick it up in verse 30. Verse 30, finishing out this section, Jesus says this. For all the nations of the world... Seek after these things, that's the food and drink he was talking about. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And then listen to verse 32. I think this is the key, really, to the whole passage. Jesus says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell, all you, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is there will your heart be also. I think verse 32 is the real key to this passage. Fear not, little flock, Why does Jesus say that? Because I think fear is at the root of this whole passage. Fear leads to anxiety. Fear leads to us worrying. Fear leads to us working frantically to try and secure our future. Fear leads to coveting that certainty that we cannot gain in this world. It's this fear that underlies all of it. And what's Jesus' response? He says, fear not. But not just fear not. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure. He loves doing it. It's God of the universe and your heavenly father. One of his favorite things to do is to give you the kingdom, is to bless you and lead you into this life after this life, into his kingdom, into his presence. This is his joy. And if that's God's joy, then what are you worried about? Fear not. I don't know what's gonna happen in the tape, but you don't have to fear because all that life after it, God's gonna give you. And he's watching over it and he's gonna bless you. And let me just speak to a second to the anxiety and the worry. Because I, this, is, this is a real thing in our world and it plagues a lot of us and a lot of us in this room at times that we get anxious and we worry. And the truth is because we're so focused at times on the what ifs, what might happen, what could happen, what should I have done, what shouldn't I have done, I can't believe I did that, I can't believe I said that, I can't, and all of these things we get anxious and we get worrisome about, and our brains start to get trained to be worried and anxious about things. Neuroscientists will tell you what fires together, wires together. So you start having these experiences and they fire with anxious thoughts and they create grooves in our brains that just are records that play over and over and over again. And so one of the things you and I can do is take a scripture like this. And let that create the groove in our brain. Let that, when anxiety comes up in your heart and in your life, when you start to worry and it starts to take hold of you and it starts to control you and it starts to take a grip, you come back to a scripture like Luke 12:32. fear not, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And, you're, and you allow that anxious time to trigger that thought and you let that to rewire and reprogram those thoughts in your brain. There's plenty of scriptures. Or just go back to Jesus' words at the beginning of this. Your life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. I didn't get that job. I didn't get that position. Weren't able to get. Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Fear not. It's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And let that be the thought that continues to circulate and control your thinking and mind. Let me close with um, with this illustration. Back in the year two thousand, Pastor John Piper um, uh, pastored. uh, He was pastoring his longtime pastor in Minneapolis, Minnesota, of a well known church. But he was speaking at the Passion Conference in two thousand which was a conference of about 40,000 college students. And he gave a sermon that became well-known after that, really birthed a movement, a book, and and really spurred on, um, uh, affected many that were a part of this, but many in the generation, uh, the Christian generation, that would serve him. This sermon he gave... And he shared and he closed this sermon with this illustration. Here's what Pastor Piper said. He said, three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Pastor Piper said, Ruby was over 80, single all her life. She poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old, and serving by Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed, the car went off the cliff, and they were both killed instantly. And then Piper asked this question, was that a tragedy? And his answer is no. But it wasn't a tragedy. He goes on to say, but I'll tell you what is. He then pulled out a page from Reader's Digest and read, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago. When he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Piper continues. The American dream, come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be: I collected shells. See my shells. Pastor John says that, I submit to you, is a tragedy. People today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Today I'm here to plead with you, don't buy it. Don't waste your life. As he says that, I think it causes all of us to think about what is it that we are investing in. How long term are you investing? What is certain is how much time we what is uncertain is how much time we have on this earth. What is certain is how much time we have in eternity. You ought to invest your life in what is certain. Are you investing too heavily in the shortest part of your life? That which we consider long term planning in light of our life in eternity is really rather myopic. Jesus tells us how to do this. Seek God's kingdom first. Don't worry about those things. Don't be anxious about those things that aren't gonna secure or make any more certain the future on this earth. But concern yourself with the things of God. If you want certainty in life, give up control to the one who is in control. See, Christ has secured through his sacrifice what your work, And certainly your worry could never secure. Christ has made it and offers it to you. Let's pray. As we go to the Lord in prayer, just as you take a few moments to listen to the Lord and what he may have to say to you and what he wants to say to you, just to take a couple minutes of sacred space to just measure where you are on these things. I just want to speak to you and just to, I encourage you just to just close your eyes for a moment and listen to the Holy Spirit. So often we want to have discussions around, Lord, where's, where's the line for Christians here? Instead of saying, Lord, where's the line in my own heart? Where have I been too much about me, my fields, my barns, my future? and less about, Lord, what you've given me and how I can be a blessing to others. Lord, where is that in my life? Where is covetousness of a secure future on this world of knowing what's coming for me or for my loved ones taken too deep a root in my life? Oftentimes, preachers will come to say, if you died tonight, are you ready to meet God? And that's a good question. But I think an equally good question is, if you live to see tomorrow, what if you live to see tomorrow, wouldn't you want to live with the certainty of eternity? Wouldn't you want to live knowing that your eternal life is secured in Christ? Wouldn't you want to live knowing you don't have to worry about the rest of the strength? Because through your faith in Christ, God has secured life for you, eternal. So I'd encourage you, Christian, in your heart, if there's a place where coveting and security and the fears of this world have taken too heavy a grip, that in this moment that you'd ask God, the Holy Spirit, to release you of that. To loosen your grip on those things and to trust Him in a greater way. But if you're in here and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Christ, and you are uncertain about that life after this life, then I'd encourage you in this moment that you would consider putting your life in God's hands, that you would consider trusting Him with the greatest gift He's given you, which is your life here your life after this life. That you would, as as I pray, that you would pray in your own heart and give your heart and your life over to him saying, God, I want to give my life to you, follow you. Knowing that through that, that's the only way to really secure the life that really matters. Jesus, come before you today what I recognize that we are much more fragile than we often admit. We are fragile in our, in our hearts and our minds. We are fragile, Lord, and we are so easily shaken. And we try with all our might to steel ourselves against the uncertain future, and yet we're a fool to think that we ever possibly could for sure. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live lives of wisdom, lives knowing, uh, God, that though we cannot control what may happen in our few years we have on this earth, we can trust that the God of the universe can be trusted to secure our life after this life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would lead us in our hearts. Lord, that we would give our lives afresh to you, that we would release what we have to release so that we can hold on to you even tighter, Lord. That we would learn to thank you for the good things you've given to us and be generous to others around us. That we might show them your love that's been shown to us so generously. Lord, now lead us even as we sing this song of commitment and worship. Lord, to know where our trust truly lies. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we